once I see you, the device works properly. Then release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. You realize what will happen? Oh, yes. Do you? First, the polarity of the neutron flows so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. So he's reversed the polarity! Keep back! Hello and welcome to Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast where this episode we will be clutching heteropatriarchy by the hand and crushing them until they give us more gay shit in Doctor Who. We do that um, every episode. We certainly do. My name is Rosie, my pronouns are they, them. My name is Aim, my pronouns are also they, them. Uh, and what serial are we discussing this time, Aim? We are talking about Attack of the Cybermen by yes. Paula Moore. In wink, quotation marks. Wink. Paula Woodsey, Eric Sayward, and Ian Levine. Um, nobody knows quite who wrote what. It's a lot of dispute. Yes, it is. It's I also believe... the last Doctor Who story to be written under a pseudonym. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess people Dropping aren't allowed to be ashamed him. of it anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I ha- I think I've, I've mentioned this like 17,000 times on the podcast, um, but I have seen about five minutes of this serial before because I saw the bit where the TARDIS turns into a pipe organ. It's perfect. That, it was all new to me. <laughs> um, we, I've started watching it and I was like, oh yeah, it's this one. Because I've seen all the Colin Baker ones before, so I, I knew yeah. I'd seen it. I just couldn't remember which one it was because my memory is shit. I'm going to um, give you a clue, Aim. It's the one with Cybermen in it. Doesn't um. help. Doesn't help so <laughs> There's a lot of ones with Cybermen in it. Not many Colin Baker ones, but yes. my, my my association of storage title doesn't exist. I get but yeah, that. Yeah, as soon as it opened, I was like, oh, it's this one. This one's fun. Yeah. And this it was. one's a fun one. Um, yeah, you know, we, we it's it's not been long since we last did a sick story. I'm just like, oh man, I love this dude. Like, seeing him back, I was so like, oh, that's good. my friend. That's my friend six. <laughs> He's just a snarky little boy who has snarky little feelings. Yes, and he's the best, and I love he's him. Really good. Um, shall we? Shall we dive straight in to yeah. the tunnels beneath London? We already discussed our various travails before we started recording. Yeah, for a change, you don't get to hear about our various weekends this time. Mm, mm. Um, Very exciting and interesting things I've been doing recently. <laughs> <laughs> shall we leave the suspense there? Yes. Yes. So, in Doctor Who, while trying to fix the TARDIS's chameleon circuit, the sixth Doctor returns to Foreman's yard on Totter's Lane <gasps> in his home in eighteen in nineteen eighty five, where he meets his old enemies, the Cybermen. They have mm. come from the future to change history by sending Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet. Halley's? I don't know. By sending Halley's Comet crashing into Earth. Gustave Lytton, last seen working for the Daleks, is involved in the Cybermen's plot. (laughs) Is Lytton working for the Cybermen himself or someone else? They're really cutting it close by trying to divert this iteration of Halley's Comet into the Earth. Like, they could have gone back to 1066, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe there was something that happened in the early... Like, the 1940s. Maybe they wanted World War II to have happened for some reason. Maybe. Or maybe they tried every other time, and every other time they were unsuccessful. <laughs> this up. is their last shot. <laughs> because last time, like, all of the Normans just shot them with arrows. <laughs> they were like, oh, oh no! I need that episode. We need to put that in our audio drama. 
Yeah, God, our extremely good audio drama ideas that never stop getting better. Um, <laughs> no, Haley's Comet comes, what, every 65 years, is it? Something like that? Oh, boy. I remember this being a, a significant piece of information I learned when we studied the Normans in primary school. <laughs> 64 um, years? 75 to 76. 75 to 76. I was off by quite a bit, but, you know, I knew it was perennial, whichever. Yeah, the next time it comes around will be... Um... 28th of July, 2061. Well, there you go. Uh, I like this premise. I like that he attempts to fix the chameleon circuit and the TARDIS responds yes. by refusing to blend in properly. <laughs> it's so funny. Grumpy little sh- spaceship. She likes being a blue box. You know, do you ever think about that, Doctor? That she likes it? I just find it very funny that in all the heats of the, the first chunk of the story, as we'll get to, he's just trying to fix stuff in the TARDIS. And the TARDIS keeps sapping him. Mm. They're, they're just so perfectly suited in their ambivalence to each other. Yeah. It's not quite the right fun. word. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't Angst. quite know. Belligerent. <laughs> yeah, it's... I just enjoy the setup. Obviously, I love that they go back to Totter's Yard. Yes. It is fan service and JNT gets too deep in the references sometimes. But also, I just think we could do with some more of this energy in New Who. I want them to reference shit from the 60s without any explanation yes. whatsoever. Um, it's also just like considering the fact that the previous season ended with the twin dilemma, just doing a little little nod is a nice little pickup to yes. start the next season with. Yeah. Right, so episode one. There's only two episodes. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. But this time, they're long, <laughs> like <laughs> last time. Um, so two workmen are inspecting a London sewer. They find a new brick wall where none should be. One of them wanders off and vanishes while his colleague is attacked by an unseen assailant and turned into blue and orange pixel. <laughs> what could this be? Yeah, he also refers to something as having more bulges than an antenatal clinic, which I still don't <laughs> understand. An, wait, an antenatal? Yeah, he said antenatal. Is that like pregnancy? I think it's post-birth, isn't it? I mean, people are still bulgy after they've pushed a child out of them. I know, but just the term bulges, like, why? <laughs> why not like more bulges than a mole-infested golf course or something? More bulges know. than Mr. Blobby. Yes, oh fuck. Just, <laughs> I don't want to think about Mr. Blog- Blobby, thank you. Never. Um, I don't know if I've told this story in the podcast before. Um, one of my friends grew up in mostly in Switzerland and had never encountered Mr. Blobby until it came for conversation and they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and so we got to watch the look of horror on, on, on their face as they encountered Mr. Blobby for the first time as an adult. And we were just like, yeah, this is our childhood. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Um, yes, the Sixth Doctor is performing repairs to the TARDIS's chameleon circuit, something he has meant to do for years, but Perry is worried that he is overexerting himself following his recent regeneration. She suggests that he get some rest. He responds that she could also use some relaxation and steers the TARDIS <laughs> towards Earth. Something begins to draw them off course. This is where she says he might still be a little unstable, and he goes, Unstable? I'm perfectly stable. I love him. So good. I do think he's, um you you keep going. He's very much like the constant depression with the occasional peak of mania. Yeah. Not to like throw the DSM at him, but I adore his portrayal of it. Yes. We love his specific brain worms. <laughs> yep. Um, Perry uh I've, I read a lot of reviews of this serial and lots of people were complaining about Perry. While I do not support complaining about Perry because Perry is perfect, I do think <laughs> that the stammering is starting to get to me. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. And, that's fair. It has. I, I think I've probably just like got used to it. Yeah, I think... Uh, 
I still love her and I really like Nicola Bryant, but they're just clearly directing her to be terrified of the Doctor. And it's like, I would much prefer if she was not. Um, yeah, she a, could hold her ground a little bit more with exactly the same lines and it would be yeah. fun. Yeah, it's like, if you're just reading this, you go, oh yeah, cool, you know, they're bickering. But instead, it's like she's trying to manage this, like, like maniac. Chaos man. <laughs> I'm just not sure about it. Um, but no, it's a fun scene. I like that he's attempting to fix it and it just keeps blowing up at him. Like, no, stop. It's beautiful. Back in London, the stranded mercenary Lytton now leads a small gang of criminals. They are planning their next job, a diamond heist. One man, Russell, is sent to procure explosives, but instead phones someone to tell them what Lytton is planning. Ooh. Ooh. I also saw someone refer to this part as, like, reservoir dogs, and I was like, oh, what God. It? I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs has a character who is secretly a policeman and they are planning a heist and you do never see the heist. So in many ways, Reservoir Dogs is very similar to Attack of the Cybermen. Very disappointing to hear it doesn't have any actual dogs. Uh, Not that I remember, no. Um, Misleading. No. There is a lot of blood in it though, so that's another way that it's much like Attack of the Cybermen. Yeah, that fits. That tracks. Yeah, sadly, no one sadly cradles someone else as he's dying, um, and you know, kisses him on the forehead or whatever. It's 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 very much the the buddy in a war film quote all over again. But unfortunately, we don't get anything like that. Nor do we get Stubbs getting shot in the butt. So we're just stuck with no homoeroticism whatsoever. Yeah, they um, could they could have. I don't know how I. We'll talk about it in the gay segment. I don't know how I feel about if they had queered Litten more. Yeah, I because don't know. I don't like him, and I know that unlikable people can be gay. That's what the Bad Gays podcast is all about, exactly. But but he he's enough stereotypes already. <laughs> yeah, the TARDIS is undamaged and now following Haley's comet towards Earth in 1985. The Doctor decides to investigate what affected their flight, despite Perry's misgivings about the comet's reputation as a signal of impending doom. Lytton's gang enters the sewers via a prepared entrance concealed beneath a garage, planning to blow their way into the diamond vault from below. Before he joins them, Lytton adjusts a piece of advanced technology while his two police allies patrol the street. Ooh. Ooh. There's a lot of complicated stuff going on with this heist that I quite enjoy. It feels quite fleshed out. Like, you can believe that Lytton has been planning this for a while. Yep, and that's why they're able to say, yeah, we're doing it today. We can yeah. do it. We're doing it today for no other reason than that uh, I want to see my evil enemy, the Doctor. Um, <laughs> the TARDIS lands in the scrapyard at 76 Totters Lane, having tracked yes. a distress signal nearby. To Perry's amusement, the chameleon circuit alters the appearance to a painted French dresser, inconsistent with the junkyard. As the can Doctor we also Perry- <laughs> circle back to be like, when, when they get out the TARDIS in the junkyard, the Doctor's like, hmm, seems familiar. Yeah, it's good. Love it. As the Doctor and Perry search for the signal source, they are silently stalked by the policeman. I think this is also where he calls her Susan again, and she's complaining yes. that he's calling her so many different names recently, and I go, yeah. ah! <laughs> I wrote you it down. You even called me Jamie once. On. Yeah, God. Hang on, let me try it, let me try it. Did it. Um, Did the accent. In the past few days, you've called me Tegan, Zoe, Susan. On one occasion, you even referred to me as Jamie. Merely slips of the tongue. <laughs> So good. It's my best Perry. It's not the best Perry, but it's my best Perry. Um, <laughs> I liked it. I thought you did a very good job. Thank you, Aim. I appreciate that. Um, my 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 um companion impressions only get better because I started with my worst one, which is Jamie. <laughs> um, okay. Craig <laughs> um, <laughs> I love him. Anyway, this isn't a Jamie episode. More However, this is a um Jamie McCrinnam. Fancast. Yes, Jamie McCrimmon fancast, reversing Jamie Larity. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, where was I? 
In the sewers, Russell hears someone following the four thieves. Lytton orders Payne to remain behind to deal with whoever is following them while he, Russell and Griffiths proceed into the dark tunnels. Payne is attacked and killed by the shadowy assailant. It's a Cyberman. It's it's a Cyberman. It's definitely a Cyberman. And it's really cool how they filmed it. It's genuinely, a, it's a proper throwback to the invasion, the 66 one, which mm. is like, not 66, 68. It's one of my favourite second doctor stories and it has so much atmosphere and you're there in the tunnels and you're like oh my god it's an homage it's an homage (laughs) um we've discussed how well 62 does horror so yeah god i'm excited to discuss how well this does horror or how well it doesn't depending on who you ask (laughs) um when he realizes the distress signal is relayed via multiple points in the city the doctor decides someone must be observing the transmitter to determine when help arrives the tardis now a pipe organ materializes at the garage (laughs) when he sees the absurd form his tardis is assumed the frustrated doctor remarks this is getting ridiculous in a moment of whimsy he plays the opening notes of j.s barks to carter and fugue in d minor before perry puts him back on task very sad that that was listed in the notes i was gonna say i recognized it like a little oh. nerd yeah i i knew it i i recognized it but i didn't know what it was called i'm not gonna i'm never gonna be on a university challenge team so it's fine i don't need to know the names of classical music <laughs> did you know that i used to be a like i went to organ pi- pipe organ summer school three years in a row no but that sounds exactly like something you would do and it does not yeah. surprise me at all. anyway i was excited to see an organ organs are great um mm. i'm excited because in a few weeks i'm getting a a, a hand-me-down piano <gasps> Oh my god. Very exciting. Very envious. I barely play the piano, but now I'll be able to learn. Um, I have grade 8 piano and no space in my house. Well, if you ever want to visit me and play my piano... <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, not a euphemism. Right. <laughs> the Doctor and Perry find the sewer entrance and the armed policeman, whom they overcome before venturing into the sewers. Hell yeah! A-cab! Yes. A-cab, yeah, baby. It's powerful. Love it. Love the little bit where the doctor knocks out the policeman, the other one is in fisticuffs with Perry, and then this little policeman's hat rises from the hole, <laughs> and the other policeman's like, ha, see, we got you now, and then it's Six oh. wearing the hat, looking Isn't very Perry proud of himself. Perry holding a gun at that point? Yeah. <laughs> Perry yeah, so something like, if I could hit you at this distance... God, yeah. what was that? Oh my God. I don't I, I know. It was kind of, you were still stuck in the Jamie, but trying for Perry. <laughs> I'm always stuck in Jamie. <laughs> Not a euphemism? <laughs> Not a euphemism, no. Just, just, that's where my soul is. I see, it's, um, I see. It's a You're very... on the astral plane. You are yeah. with Jamie. Yeah. Um, in the dark, they soon find Payne's body. When Lytton's gang reach the newly built wall, Griffiths begins to knock down some of the old brickwork to reach the vault. When the black figure appears in the tunnel, Russell flees while Griffiths shoots at it. Lytton forces Griffiths not to panic as the new wall slides back to reveal Cybermen in a hidden command centre. <gasps> I love this. I love this as a reveal. Mm. It's so good. There's like one Cyberman and then suddenly the wall opens and there's like 15 fucking Cybermen. You're like, what? It's good. It's also a very good like slidey wall. I love it. Yeah. I love a good slidey wall. Yeah. There's that whole bit at the beginning where they're like, this part of the... They're talking in some kind of regional accent, I think. This part of the sewers is supposed to have three half walls with buttresses. Where are those walls now? (laughs) It's a very um, English kind of comedy to just have some work come along and inform people that things are in the wrong place. And then to get (laughs) killed by a Cyberman. Oh yeah, Um, nothing says English comedy more than Cyberman murders. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Lytton surrenders. He explains his extraterrestrial nature to the cyber leader and offers to serve the cyber race. The leader states the cyber controller on Telos will demand will determine their fate. On Telos, I know it's pronounced Telos, but I like saying Telos. Um, a group of partially cyber-converted prisoners toil in a quarry under Cyberman guards. Spoilers, TARDIS wiki! We don't know they've been converted yet. Come on, guys. However, it's kind of Borg. 
kind of bored. It is kind of Borg. That that's my addition to this kind of Borg. Indeed. Um Three of the prisoners attempt to escape, killing a Cyberman in the process. Only two make it out alive. The men, Bates and Stratton, need a third to operate the ship they plan to leave Talos in. Despite this setback, they continue with their plan and head for the Cyber Control Building. They accost a Cyber Scout on the way and decapitate him, planning to hollow out his head for a disguise. Oh, this is so fun. This is so cool and fun. I love yeah, it. Yeah, like, just the concept of hollowing out the head. Yeah, the whole thing where they've been planning an escape. Again, this episode assumes a lot of like prior planning by the characters involved, which is nice. Mm. You see, like it comes in media res when these guys are like, "Now it's time to execute our escape attempt," and they like shoot, they like push a Cyberman down a hill, and he rolls, going <laughs> "Oh!" for like thirty which is seconds. Really fucking funny. It's so funny. <laughs> Very, very good. Um, and then they knock its head off with, like, just with a stick. It's very, very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it does kind of contribute to this thing I want to talk about later about the Cybermen as cyborgs versus robots, which I think were slightly Ooh. too far on the spectrum in this. Uh, Interesting. Okay. <sighs> Russell finds the Doctor and Perry. He reveals he is an undercover police officer. The Doctor disarms him and learns he was investigating Lytton, who appeared suddenly a year earlier and committed several daring crimes with great skill to build his transmitter, and who the Doctor had dealt with before during an incident with the Daleks. They return to the TARDIS disabling the Black Cyber Scout with a Sonic Lance on the way. Now, Sonic I Lance! Didn't... Sonic Lance! Sonic Lance! He was using it to repair the TARDIS earlier. I didn't realise that Lytton was a, was a, recu- was a recurring yes. character. Yes! He was on the have... Dalek episodes before. Yeah, I have not seen... I think it's Resurrection of Resur- the Daleks. Resurrection sounds right. Um, Just starve previous... Lytton. Fucking love it. Yeah, it's the previous 2 by 45 minute episode serial before they decided to stick with the format. Uh... And it's apparently quite good. I don't know. <laughs> Haven't seen it. Um, I promise I have seen some Doctor Who listeners. Like, I know it seems at this point that I haven't seen any Doctor Who, but I have seen a lot of Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of Doctor Who to have seen. Would you Would you like a quick spoiler for Resurrection of the Daleks? I'd love a quick spoiler for Resurrection of the Daleks. A cat is mistaken for a Dalek mutant. Oh my god. <laughs> What's wrong with the cat? I have I have not seen the episode in a long time. I don't know. Okay. Exciting to find out. That, that's, your, that's your teaser. Exciting. All right. However, some Cybermen are already inside the TARDIS and kill <gasps> Russell. Oh my God. Oh my God. The leader, flanked by several other Cybermen, herds Lytton and Griffiths into the ship. The leader orders one of the Cybermen to destroy Perry at once. Fucking Drama. amazing cliffhanger. Like, they've got the gun to her head. There's it's... Cybermen everywhere. It's really good. It's so, so, so good. And it brings us onto episode two. Already? Already. Um, speeding through for a change. Mm. Um, <laughs> the Doctor agrees to cooperate with the Cybermen if Perry is spared on the word of the leader and cyber controller, whom the Doctor believed dead. He sets the TARDIS coordinates for Telos and is placed in another room with Perry, Griffiths and Lytton. Lytton explains that the Cybermen have captured a time ship that landed on Telos and have great plans for that ship and the TARDIS as well. The Doctor asks how Lytton knows so much about Telos and the Cybermen's plans, but he doesn't answer. The Doctor explains to Perry and Griffiths that the Cybermen came to Telos and and annihilated the native Crichtons to use their refrigerated cities to store cyber troops after the destruction of Mondas. (laughs) Partially! Partially at the Doctor's hand in 1986. This scene is so funny. (laughs) It is so funny. Like... They're talking about this, and Lytton goes, 
yes, Doctor, why can't they go back to their home planet? There is no way that <laughs> Lytton actually knows <laughs> that the Doctor destroyed Monta. I love the, the idea doctor, that he does, though. Just The Doctor just stares straight into the camera like, oh, well, it, it, it blew up. <laughs> <laughs> completely unrelated to what I was doing. It Very passive. It happened. I was it, I was I was in the vicinity, but Yeah. I was nearby when it happened and also I kind of said what they should do to make sure that it happened and also I wanted it to happen and I caused it to happen. But, but does that I mean then immediately I immediately died, it. so it doesn't count. Um <laughs> God I'm excited for the tenth planet. I love the tenth planet. Uh it I don't think I've seen I must have seen the tenth planet. It whips. I haven't seen it. Fuck. Oh my god, it's so good. Oh my good. god. Ooh, that's exciting. Um, cool. Stuff to look forward to. The Doctor sabotages the navigational controls with the sonic lance, causing the TARDIS to land in the catacombs rather than cyber control, whereupon it assumes the shape of a gateway. The Cybermen are attacked by a rogue Cyberman, one of the many driven insane by faulty tombs. The distraction allows Perry, Lytton and Griffiths to escape. Now, I need to... I, I need to... I need you to explain something to me or help me understand something. Okay. I can try. So, I can't promise anything. So the Cybermen came back in time to 1986. Have we now gone forwards in time again to return to where the Cyber Controller is? Or are they on Telos in 1986? Which wouldn't work because oh re- re- because Tomb of the Cybermen is set in like 2500 or whatever. Yeah. So have they travelled in time or only in space? <laughs> I assume they must have travelled in time as well, because why would they send everybody back if they just need Earth to be in that vicinity of the comet? Mm. Unless they were going to make sure that so happened good. and then bring everybody back? I don't know. It's so... it. it I mean, <laughs> I, I think bringing up plot holes in this episode is going to be kind of a competitive sport. But <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point out that that doesn't make any sense. Nope. You're right. Perry is rescued by Cryon Freedom Fighters, more of whom find Lytton and Griffiths, explaining that they answered Lytton's distress call and he manipulated the Cybermen into bringing him to Telos. The Cryons have hired him to help stop the (gasps) Cybermen from destroying Telos when they have revived all their troops and left. Lytton's mission is to steal the time vessel to prevent the controller's plan from succeeding. He, in turn, needs Griffiths to keep him alive long enough to make it to the ship, paying him with a fortune in diamonds which are very common on Telos. I really enjoy the Cryons I like as, this. A, as, a, as an alien because they're not... It's not like goodies versus baddies, right? Like, obviously, the Cybermen are bad news, but the Cryons are not like this morally pure no. group. It's just that they don't they don't deserve to have their planet blown up by the Cybermen. Nobody does. Is this a story about colonialism? <gasps> In my Doctor Who? Oh, my God. We've never seen one of those before. <laughs> no, nothing political has ever happened in the show. This show is Until not Jodie political. Whittaker. Until Jodie Whittaker came in and smeared her politics all over it. Smeared? I couldn't think of another verb. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just imagining her with like a politics bucket and getting her hands in it and just like rubbing the TARDIS with politics juice. Oh, exciting. Which of course comes from the famed politics lemon. Of course, um, yes. The politics lemon. <laughs> There has to be a bad, there has to be a good pun for politics and fruit. Hmm, I can think of quite a few for nuts. Appalement. Appalement. That's bad too. It's but... better than I went to, which was polybanana, which is nothing. That's that's nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. That's nothing. Um, it has to be something that rhymes with ticks, which isn't great for like fruits. 
Uh, I'm genuinely running through every letter in my head right now. <laughs> I'm loving the amount of editing you'll need to do to the segment. It's fine. Pollen mixed berries. Pollen mixed berries. <laughs> That's it. We've got some pollen mixed berries. <laughs> Pollen mixed berries smoothie. I think workshopping puns actually makes them worse, is the thing. <laughs> Shall I move on? Yeah, I think maybe we should move on. We'll, we'll see if I include that or not. Just so anyone knows, <laughs> if I don't leave that in, we just told a great joke. It, it was a great joke. It, it took a lot of time to get there. Yes, and that means that it's good. <laughs> Meanwhile, the doctor is confined in a cold storage room where he meets a cryon prisoner, Flast. Flas says a few cryons survived the Cyberman purges. They are fighting a guerrilla war, sabotaging the teams to delay de- the revivals. She outlines the Cyberman's plans to prevent Mondas's destruction by travelling back in ti- back in the time vessel and diverting Haley's comet into Earth before Mondas has absorbed too much energy. Lytton and Griffiths track down the two escaped prisoners outside the city and convince the group to ally themselves with each other to ally themselves with each other to capture the time vessel which needs at least three crewmen to operate. If we're getting technical here, the TARDIS needs at least 12 people to operate it. So, I you mean, know, go the TARDIS, the TARDIS legally requires that you not drive it as a single person. However, the Doctor doesn't give a fuck about the law. As, as, as noted earlier, uh, the Doctor said, all cops are bastards. So. Yeah, yeah. All space cops particularly, but you know. Spot I just mean in his, in his life. There we go, spops. Yes. A scabs. <laughs> um, I really like the cry again. I really like the crimes. I like the one that the doctor encounters, where he kind of forges mm. this bond with her. Um, yeah, by both being haughty gays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the energy. There's a yeah. lot of haughty gay energy across all the crayons. Yeah, um, I would have liked to see more of them. Yeah. They feel like- kind of ex- exposition dumpy rather than active. I like that they're all played by women. Yeah, you apparently know, it's one of the very rare. few female, mostly slash exclusively races in sci-fi TV, yeah. which is yeah. cool. Just wish there was more of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they have kind of a cool, you know, uh, biological uh, imperative, whatever. Listen explains that the ship is their only hope and it will arrive soon. They head into a hidden tunnel, which leads to a cyber control. As they approach the landing pad, Lytton is captured by a Cyberman patrol, while the others continue without him. Gasp. Gasp. What will we do without Lytton? I know, whatever will they do? The Doctor is outraged at the Cyberman's plan. Saving Mondas would contravene the laws of time. He's surprised the Time Lords are not doing something to stop it. And then the Cryons, uh, Flast says, are you sure they haven't already sent one of their agents? <laughs> oh my god, and then he has a horrible realisation. Oh no, it is me. Oh no, me. He's playing temporal football again. Uh, um, he realises it must have been his own people who sent the TARDIS off course and manipulated him into place to be their agent yet again. And then he shouts at the ceiling for a bit and it's very good. It's very good. More of Colin experiencing rage towards the Time Lords. Please. I mean, that's gonna it's gonna come up, isn't it? Oh boy. <laughs> it's gonna come oh up. boy. Oh man. It's just it's really really good, and especially because obviously later in the season we get the two Doctors, which if you yeah. if you believe the theories is partially based in season six B, you're not having this thread <laughs> of the Time Lords manipulating the Doctor 
and then blaming him for stuff that happens as a result. And then you get into Trial of a Time Lord next season and it's like, oh, it's almost a theme accidentally. I cannot wait for Trial of a Time Lord. I am excited for it now. Genuinely Um, one of my favourites as like a series, I guess. Flash shows the Doctor what's in the storeroom. Boxes of Vastiel... There are boxes of Vastiel, a common Talusian mineral, highly volatile above freezing. The Doctor uses a small amount to escape the room and kill the guard, leaving his sonic lance with Flast. She cannot leave the room without being boiled alive by the above zero <gasps> temperatures in the corridor, but volunteers to use detonate the Vastiel. I don't know why I keep wanting to say it like Castiel. So she'll use the lance to detonate the Vastiel and destroy cyber control. She's very cool. She is. Lytton is tortured by the cyber controller for information before being forced to undergo cyber conversion. The the scene that launched a thousand angry letters. <laughs> do you want to elaborate on that? Um, I think I might do later. Basically, cool. it is a scene in which Lytton's hands get crushed. Um, it's really but I'm more interested intense. in discussing it when we get to critique so I can talk about how it compares to actual horror movies that were being made in the 1980s. Ooh, cool, that's a good shout. Um, the Doctor and Perry make their way separately to the TARDIS where to lure the Cyberman guards out. The Doctor activates a distress beacon on the body of a dead Cyberman. Oh, I didn't like I didn't like looking at the inside of the Cyberman's head. Oh, no. God. No. Oh, God. No. It, it, yeah. Faceplate flips up. You go, there should be a head in there, but there's nothing. There's nothing. Before being forced into the corridor and perishing, Flast hides the sonic lance in a box of Vastiel where it slowly warms up. <gasps> and then is... um, the Cybermen go, how long has the Doctor been... Uh, how, how long since the Doctor escaped? And she goes, I don't know. I don't have an instrument for measuring time. I'm Very obsessed with this line. I'm obsessed with the line. I don't know why, but I genuinely <laughs> rewound to listen to it again. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that that has struck a chord with you. When the time vessel lands at the platform, the would-be hijackers try to board it, but are mercilessly cut down by the Cybermen inside. As the guards leave the TARDIS, the Cryons destroy them at the cost of their leader's life, which is intense. Um, the new Cryon leader, Rost, urges the Doctor to leave before Flask's explosion is triggered. The Doctor prepares to go, but Perry urges him to go back and rescue Lytton, who, for once, was helping the right side. It should be pointed out that he was helping them because he was being paid to do it, not because he had any moral <laughs> moral um, alignment with either side. However, he did help. He did help. He did help. So he doesn't deserve to die. It's just that I think the moral righteousness of it yeah. is a little bit overblown. Yes, definitely. Um, the TARDIS materialises in the conversion centre, taking the form of a police box. Yay! But it is too late to save Lytton, who begs the Doctor to kill him. Harrowing. Oh boy. The cyber controller arrives to stop the Doctor, who surreptitiously puts a scalpel in Lytton's hand. Lytton waits until the controller is next to him and stabs him in the arm, which is the distraction the Doctor needs. Starts like leaking fluid everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot. He takes the controller's weapon and kills the leader, the lieutenant and the controller himself, but not before Lytton is killed. The TARDIS leaves moments before cyber control explodes, leaving the Doctor to reflect on his misjudgment of Lytton. End of serial. End of the... yeah. To remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. It's fun. It was good. It was really, really good. I was like, oh, yeah. It's because the dialogue is really snappy throughout. Yeah, it doesn't have a very good reputation, and I think I can see why. But also, like watching it for the first time now, I'm like, this is fucking bops. It's really good. 
Yeah, it's got a lot going for it. I think I, when I, you I don't it. have the weight of the fact that the show has just been put on hiatus for 18 months and you're stuck with this and only this because there's no such thing as a DVD um, and most of the VHSs weren't out yet, you might put a little bit more stock on having perfect episodes of Doctor Who every week. However, we have enough Doctor Who easily accessible to just enjoy it. Just Indeed. have a good time Indeed. having violence in London and on Telos. An apple a day keeps the, uh... No, never mind. So, the, the, one, of the, one of the many things that is said to the Doctor this serial is someone goes, You're bonkers! And he goes, That's debatable. <laughs> I am in love with Six. Colin Baker's portrayal of this character is perfect. It's perfect. It really is. And again, considering it's his second story, he's embodying him so well already. We love Colin Baker. So, so good. Like, just Colin, we love you. Colin. Colin, Colin, thank you. Thank you for bringing this gift to our lives. Thank you. Um, Also also... looking very fly as ever. Oh, absolutely. The the coat really works in such a drab uh, surroundings because you go, oh, there's the doctor. (laughs) I can spot him from 50 (laughs) yards away. Um, Imagine though being the cyber controller, and the last um, iteration of the Doctor you saw was beige. two, who is the silly little boy. Oh, is, it, yeah. is it beige? Oh no, sorry, was, I was, was thinking about I was thinking about Earthshock. That would be the other. That's a different the, cyber. Different oh my god! Oh god! Oh, we're becoming god. those people. Um, <laughs> don't the the fucking timeline. The fucking timeline. <laughs> It's like um, Brian David Gilbert doing the Zelda timeline, but it's me with the different Cybermen iterations. I would pay money to watch that video. Maybe one day. Um. Maybe one day. <laughs> um, yeah, I sort of wonder what the Cyber Controller who, who last saw the second Doctor, who is a strange little man, yes, but a respectably dressed strange little man. And then you see Six, who is explosion in the paint factory. Mm. Love it. And yet also, they're very similar emotionally, and we love that. Oh boy, they are. They really are. Um, when he is about to go and uh, stab the Cyberman with a sonic lance, he pets his little cat badge for courage. It's so it's cute. Very cute. I just love how much he uses the costume as part of the character. Even though he didn't like yeah. the costume, he still manfully went on with it and incorporated it into everything. And he did like the cat badges, as, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, the cat badges were based on his actual real-life cats. Oh my god, I knew that, and I still love it. God. Isn't it good? My little cat badge that I made is somewhere in my room. Yes. Um, I'm very proud of that cat badge replica. <laughs> you should be. Thank you. Um, we've got so many notes on this. It's just that neither of us wants to interrupt the other one, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you did a chunk of notes first and I don't want to steal your notes. Oh, sorry. You can steal my notes. Because steal notes. Okay. I do really like what you said about refusing to trust Lytton to his detriment, which makes, uh, A, makes complete sense knowing Lytton, and B, it's nice to have the doctor not not be immediately switching allegiances and trusting people yeah effectively he's he's more cautious but in a way which is bitchy and i really admire that yes that's that's exactly it um we've already talked about how funny it is about mondas Mm. it's like he he destroyed the planet (laughs) he destroyed a whole planet what do you want us to say it it was it was it was bad he's destroyed a fair few planets in his time he he certainly who among us hasn't mm. i mean i haven't but maybe that's just okay I, I i would say i recommend it but it does weigh heavy on your conscience after a while that does make sense yeah i'm very sorry <laughs> um i also like later on when he's being like you know concerned and kind about the cryons and you go oh yeah six actually does have a very good heart it's just that he blusters you know yes 
This, the, uh, this um, serial more effectively conveys the character, I think, than Twindle. I think it'd be such a good first story for mm. um, for the Sixth Doctor. So much better, at least, than... Um... I mean, fucking anything would be better than anything. Like, yeah. I could sneeze, and the sneeze would be more interesting than the Twin Dilemma. But also, when you think about how much there is for Six to do in this story, mm. and the range of it, the range of things that happen, it would be such a good, this is your new Doctor, enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So and instead, they, they pissed it away at the end of season 21. Ugh. Yeah. Come on, it Doctor was, Who. It was a bad time. He and the TARDIS having a very adversarial relationship is very fun. It's um, very funny. And and I, it's sort of like a running joke in the show by this stage, I think. But mm. I really enjoy it. I have to go. Now look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But right. you don't understand. Perry is a fraught character for many people in the fandom. And I know why. However, I love her. <laughs> yeah, I was, when I was doing some research, I read um, this season's essay in Chickstick Time Lords. And... It was just Perry hate, which, again, I can kind of see where someone's coming from with it, but also, no. 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 She's very good, actually. Please don't hate Perry. There is no good reason to hate Perry. Yeah. As I said earlier... There's a lot of good reasons to be very annoyed with her and very frustrated with the way that JNT developed her character. Yes. But don't hate Perry, because... Yeah. Nicola Bryant is doing her damned best. She really fucking is. And she's so lovely, and... There's there's so many hints of this great dynamic that they could have between Six and Perry, and they really if they develop were brave it in enough. the audios. They, yeah, they really develop oh, it in nice. the audios. And then in one of the, isn't it in one of the BBV productions, Nicola Bryant and Colin Baker have a sex scene. I did not know that existed. I'm fairly certain this is the case. Um, that must have been fucking hilarious to film. Yeah, yeah. They finally, they're finally. Tech- I mean, they talk about New Who being horny, but like, <laughs> you can't beat the BBV videos, I guess. <laughs> this is something I know very little about. I don't know a great deal about it because it's expensive and I can't be bothered yeah. to spend like £10 on a VHS tape that I won't be able to play. Um, <laughs> but BBV did all of the the Stranger uh, videos in the 90s, which I think was mm-hmm. Baker and Bryant. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was very thinly veiled Doctor Who fan films. And in a way, I think that that's valid. <laughs> that's, uh, if I had been able to do that in the 90s rather than being a literal infant, then I would have. Indeed. Anyway. Um... Anyway, Perry. <laughs> yes. One of her first lines is, don't patronise me! Six says, I wouldn't dare. And it's like, yeah, good. It's very, very... He does say it slightly patronisingly, though, which I think is a very funny delivery. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the dynamic that I'm prepared to enjoy. I and I think it's I better it. in... I think it's better in The Two Doctors. I think it just yeah. develops over time. It's and developed. in Varos, it's yeah. a little bit better, too. Um, although, God, I love Varos. I need to rewatch Varos. That's was, what you can do with your evening. Nothing I was reading all you. the angry letters about Varos in the Doctor Who magazines from 85, and I was like, God, I want to watch Varos again. <laughs> it's... I really like Varos. I think that... I respect it. I respect the energy of Barros. Yeah, it's very good. It has a very particular vision it's putting across and it does it flawlessly. Um, yeah, this this era of Who is actually quite dark and I love it. Mm. I love it. I mean, that's why I got in so much trouble. 
<laughs> and I think well, sometimes it gets a bit up its own ass about it, but often I kind of enjoy the attempt to tackle themes that they kind of got away from in the fourth Doctor era and are back to with five and six and seven. Mm, yeah, strong agree. Uh, I love the comment you've got um, about her still being nervous around six. For good reason, saying, yeah. <laughs> Frankly, I'm surprised she didn't jump ship the second she heard it was 1985. Like, honestly, why didn't she just go home if she doesn't like him? <laughs> I know that that's kind of a reductive comment, but like, come on. Perry's from the 80s, right? I'm not making that up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so even if it was a little a bit out of time. Botany student from the eighties. Yes. yes. So let, she... pa- let Perry do botany. Yeah, God. Maybe that's what Terror like... of the Vervoids is about. I don't know. Oh my god, I can't wait for you to see Terror <laughs> of the Vervoids. I know that they look like big dicks, but other than that <laughs> Oh, it's a time. Um even more so than Alpha Centauri. There are just lots of phallic aliens in Doctor Who. Mm, might be trying to compensate. That... Just anyway, not enough yonic we, aliens, we both, that's what it is. We both noted that they're making Perry wear heels. They're only like an inch yeah, and a half. They're, they're kitten like, heels. Come on, give her converse. Yeah, I mean, one of my, my style rules that I've had since I was a teenager is not to buy anything that I wouldn't be comfortable having to run away with the doctor in. That's valid. Um, I chose it when I was like 11 and hyperfixating on you who. And I've kept it to this day because it means I wear comfortable, practical clothes that also look cool. Hell yeah. You do have a very good wardrobe. Thank you. Thank you. Today I'm wearing my Shrimp Heaven Now t-shirt. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you've got to do a lot of running around, don't wear heels. It's I bad for your part arches. of it is so that they can film her and Colin Baker in the same frame. But just give her wedges. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are more stable ways of doing this. Get her to stand on a fucking box. I don't care. Yeah, that's. Did you know that that's what they did in Star Trek: The Original Series with William Shatner because he was shorter than a fair few other people, so he had his little box, so he would appear <laughs> taller than everybody else. I think I did know that, but I'd forgotten. So thank you it's very much. It's such a for Shatner move. Me. I love that. Well, you know, 60s leading man can't be shorter than people, except for Spock. He's allowed to be shorter than his husband. <laughs> and even then, there's a lot of positioning, so he appears taller than Spock. Um. I also like how much Perry has to do in this story. Obviously, a lot of it is kind of walking around getting exposited to by the cryons, but like she gets to do it and engage in the conversations and say stuff. You're like, that's a strange reason to commit genocide. And it's like, yes, Perry, but also I think all reasons to commit genocide are strange reasons to do so. <laughs> yep, yep. However, yep. we're bringing up the big G word in Doctor Who again. And I, you know, we haven't heard that in a while. That's one of the things I do like about the show, how it can tackle these sorts of things, even yeah. if it doesn't quite reductively and light touch. I would love to see a version of this story where it goes hard into, like, genocide and its consequences yeah and the cryons on both sides. and stuff yeah because the doctor has done genocide the doctor has done so many genocides the, that it is a running the doctor joke in basically the does genocide before having sunday lunch each week yeah and it's like oh doctor <laughs> just oh, imagining doctor. the doctor being like me another genocide don't mind if i do no yeah <laughs> oh bad. i couldn't possibly <laughs> um yeah. Just in case it's not coming across, we here at Reversing Polarity Towers strongly condemn genocide in all forms. <laughs> we have towers now. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but the way you phrased that was incredible. No, we're definitely anti-genocide on the podcast. It's just that within the canon of Doctor Who, the way that the the way that the writers and creators completely dismiss the seriousness of genocide when it does not suit them to mention it is 
Or because they're like, oh, it's Crazy. a children's show. We, we just can't talk about that in a children's show. We'll just murder policemen instead. Good. <laughs> Which um, is good, yes. However, it's a weird, weird flex. Yeah. Um, and then lastly... I wonder why that happens in a show produced in England. Yeah. Lastly for Perry, we have Jumpsuit, which I love and AIM does not. <laughs> oh, oh AIM no, loves I it. do. AIM loves it but I do love it's bad, it. whereas I think it's good and would wear it. Um, oh, I'd also wear it. I just think it's bad. <laughs> <clears throat> it's like red, you know, long it's like a magenta. sleeve, long-legged, which I enjoyed that they let her cover her legs for once. Um, yeah. Yeah, like a magenta... Um, Kind of belted. velour. Yeah, I want it. I want one. Yeah. Um, Very, um, you can imagine a robust bra being needed yeah, to yeah. get that cleavage. Yeah, you kind of, because um, they actually do kind of remember that the tombs are supposed to be cold. Because um, it's yeah. the tombs from Tomb of the Cybermen. We forgot to mention this. Um, so the fact that she gets to change into something slightly warmer is nice. It's, a, it's, it's good. Um but they were filming, especially a lot of episode one, outside in the UK in November. Oh, God. And that was all she was wearing. Oh, God. And, um, they had to cover her nipples with tape because John Nathan Turner said they were practically obscene. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, John, who chose the costume? Who chose the costume? Uh, speaking of sub-zero temperatures, though. <laughs> um, yes. I don't want to wife the cryon, but I just no, want I to mention that they are the other women. There are like five and women. And there are in numerous the named women There's who like five do women. things and have autonomy. I know. It's incredible what can happen when a, when an alien race is just women. <laughs> I want that on a motivational like poster. On your knees, Doctor. Yeah, there's not a lot of gay this serial. It's it's trying it is it is the the era of JNT trying very hard to be straight. Yeah, there's not even gay subtext. There's no you, you come at it from all angles. There's not a massive queerness in the plot. No. If you're pulling at strings, you could maybe go into some of the unhealthy dynamics between the Time Lords and the Doctor and that, but that's extrapolating massively. Yeah. And not explored. I mean, the manipulation of the Time Lord by the Time Lords of the Doctor is like you know the 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 heteronormative society forcing him to do stuff he doesn't want to. But like, um, yeah, mostly I was just thinking about Litten slash Six Enemies to Lovers for like half the story. <laughs> I don't support That's... it, but it was the only gay thread I could find <laughs> to pull on. Yeah, Lytton does present as like distinguished gay, mm. but I also don't like him. I don't think he actually like. I think he might be queer coded in some ways, but I don't think like anything in the portrayal by the no. actor is intended to be queer. It's just that no. when you are looking for gay content for your gay Doctor Who podcast, which trades on being a, a podcast that finds gay stuff in classic Doctor Who, you have to find <laughs> something. And um, some weeks we're like, hello, this is very gay. And mm. others we're like, this is the breadcrumb we found in the corner. Mm. Enjoy. Mm. We found one um. crumb and it's how dramatic Lytton is. Like when Perry's like, what is that terrible smell? And he goes, death. <laughs> Goth gay. Um, I watched Adam's Family the other day, which is part of why I'm still on Oh my God, day. I love Adam's Family. Very um, good film. Completely unrelated. We watched Swiss Army Man last night. Uh-huh. Really, really good. Love it. Highly recommend if you want to see... Um, fascinating depictions of trauma and a man being very handsy with Daniel Radcliffe. I did think about Daniel Radcliffe in it. I'll have to put it on my Yeah, it's box. really good. Yeah, highly. I think you'd like it. It's very weird. Excellent. Do you have a letterbox? I don't. I should, but I don't. Yeah, I have one. I have been devotedly putting stuff. I feel like I should because I keep forgetting what I watched when and I know it'd be helpful for me, but then mm. I keep forgetting to do it. 
But yeah, um, the other, the only other like little tidbit of queerness mm. is that the Cryans seem to be entirely lesbians of questionable morality. Yep, and I admire that. They're like, yeah, yep. we'll, we'll pay this guy two million pounds in diamonds to help us. We don't believe in I... the innate goodness of people because we have no proof of it whatsoever. So we're just going to pay people to do stuff, and that will help us. And I'm like, yeah, I actually go can't for it. blame them from that experience. Yet. No, exactly. also like. Lesbians of questionable morality feels like it should be an entire genre. It really should. Um, I mean, that's what Gideon the Ninth is. <laughs> fucking hell. Oh boy. I need to finish Harrow at some point. Oh my point. god, I'm you really do. Harrow is so good. Like, I know it's it, kind I, of weird and that makes it hard to read, but also, like, what I struggled oh my god, with, Harrow. I went into expecting more of, like, the narrative style oh, of Gideon, yeah. which I loved. And then, because it's not that at all, I it just does need to, like, return. It does return. Reset. Later in the book, it yeah. returns and it's good. Um, I'm just looking at my at my shelf of sci-fi and fantasy that's next to me. Besides Terry Pratchett, of course. Um, <laughs> we've got the unspoken name, which does have lesbians of dubious Ooh, morality. Oh, love it. that! Um, love the, that. The covert captain, which is not fantasy. That's a romance novel that my friend wrote. Very good, though. I don't know if you've read nice. it. No, I've um, heard of it. Though. Oh, it's fucking great. Uh, Storm Song, which I haven't read, but is the sequel to Witchmark, and it does have Ooh. at least one dubiously mor- moral lesbian in it. Um, the Animals of Lockwood Manor, which is gothic horror with lesbians in it. Nice. Um, Conjure Women, which I haven't read yet, and then Gideon and Harry <laughs> the Night, and then the Captive Prince trilogy. <laughs> um, the book I'm currently working on has a lesbian of questionable morality, morality in it. Hell yeah. She's great and I mean, awful. And I, I posted Magnus Archives fanfic the other day that has Helena. Oh, who I sent that to my friend who's super into Magnus Archives fic at the moment, and he said it was great. Yay! Well, it's a whole so. series. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's probably come back and read all of them. Excellent. Um, yeah, can't get through an episode without mentioning the Magnus Archives. It's set in London, much like the Magnus Archives. Um, <laughs> anyway, the crayons. It's like the design of them. We haven't even mentioned the design of the crayons, which is mental. It's like the sensorites, <sighs> but made of like spun glass. Yeah, it's sort of like if you got a vague like pencil sketch of ET. Tried to photocopy it, but the photocopier settings were set. No, I to don't have mean crayons. Exposure. I was trying to get a picture of crayon, <laughs> but it's not crayon's Doctor Who. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff here that's not crayon. There we go. Um, yeah, there's kind of bulbous. That it's 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 like um the the aliens from Mars Attacks, but covered in bubble wrap. Yes, um, and like with they they do. They fit for being monsters who can't exist, monsters, aliens who can't exist outside, above like freezing temperatures because they look like they could melt. Yeah. They look like they are not sturdy. Yes. And I really like, I really admire that. And the physicality of it is really interesting too. Like they're very handsy, very touchy feely with Perry. <laughs> um, yeah. And like they've got these long fingernails and everything, and you're like, oh God, ah, they're very, they're quite creepy, which I liked. Um, yes. Yeah, so I think there are like more of them. Are they in? Actually, we might get this in an extended universe. We might. I haven't researched it yet. <laughs> um, okay. I'll research it and then I'll let you know. Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. In it's the second serial to be broadcast in this two forty-five minute episodes after the fifth sto- fifth Doctor story, Resurrection of the Daleks, um, which is interesting. You can also sort of see how that structure in the structure of it and where the, the narrative heights and tensions are, how it was pitched as a four-part story, um, which I quite enjoy, like, picking apart while watching it. Yeah, pretty cool. And seeing, 
Yeah. Um, working titles for the story included Return to Telos and The Cold War, Ooh. which would have been a fucking power move. <laughs> absolutely. During the Cold War, yeah. Exactly. I think that would have been very bold, very brave, very ballsy. Um, maybe if they called it The Cold War, they wouldn't have cancelled Doctor Who. Maybe if they called it The Cold War, they wouldn't have brought Doctor Who back. Who, Who knows? Can say? Who knows? Um, so Terry Molloy, who played Russell, also played Davros. I love this fact. I love it. Yeah. Um, the only time he's appeared not as Davros in Doctor mm. Who. Um, it was planned that the Cyberman on Telos would be dressed in blue <laughs> overalls and globular helmets Stupid. to imply the hostile nature of the planet's surface. However, it was found that these additions made the um, monsters look ridiculous and they were dropped. Why would they need um, a space helmet? <laughs> <laughs> Why would they... On, they went on the moon! They were fine on the moon! <laughs> But imagine... I want them in overalls, though. I do yeah, want, I want them, them in, in dungarees. I want yeah. a Cyberman in dungarees and, like, with, like, a farmer's hat on, like a straw hat. Like, Windy Miller. Yes. I want a Windy Miller exactly. Cyberman. Yeah, the official view of reversing polarity as it's a tragedy and we were robbed of Cybermen wearing overalls. Absolutely. Any fan artists listening, please, please make our day. We, we are easily pleased. We definitely are. Um, the cyber controller was played by the same actor who played him in Tomb of the Cybermen Continuity. Yay, 27 um, my... episodes of the podcast ago. <laughs> How we've grown. I know. Um, that was Michael Kilgariff. Um, uh, what have we got here? This is a little screenshot, oh, which I can't yeah, quite read. I'll read it if you want. This is, I found today a website of like, she's called Oh like, boy, it's so exciting. The Doctor Who like, Cuttings resource cuttings archive um this one is a news article from thursday the 7th of june 1984 which means they were filming quite a long way in advance called doctor who has scrap with cybermen scrapyard owner roy cameron had a shock when doctor who turned up in his yard mr cameron had his business in birkbeck road acton transformed into a doctor who set for the day he said i normally work in the office all day but having doctor who around is fun my four-year-old grandson is really excited colin baker <laughs> who plays the doctor spent the afternoon on location with his assistant perry played by nicola bryant the episode is due to be shown in January and will be called Attack of the Cybermen. The scene shot in Acton has Doctor Who in a tight spot when he is faced by arms, armed robbers. The programme also heralds the return of the dreaded Cybermen. The scrapyard, which had to be closed to the day, was selected by the BBC because it has a carpet. Ideal for the tense scene where he's down underneath the scrapyard with Amazing. a little policeman's helmet. Good stuff. Actually beautiful. And it has a little picture of the scrapyard owner with Colin and Nicola and it's really cute. They look very happy. It's really cute. Um, apparently the serial was air- <laughs> apparently while the serial was airing, Colin and Nicola were in the same panto together as Buttons and Cinderella. Holy shit. I need- when we get our time machine. Yeah, when we get our time machine, we are going to see this panto. Oh my god. God, I wish panto preservation was like as important to Doctor Who uh, preservationists as the missing episodes are, because I want to know more about this panto. <laughs> this, there's got to be something. Um, do you want to do the little little season survey yeah, thing as so well? Yeah, so Doctor Who magazine number 108, which was from 1986, they had the season survey for season 22, which was Attack of the Cybermen through uh, Revelation of the Daleks. This serial, so Attack of the Cybermen, came third out of six. It was behind the two Doctors and hmm. uh, Revelation of the Daleks, I'm pretty sure. And it was above Mark of the Rani, Varos, and then um, Time Lash. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, love Maka the Rani. Looking forward to that. I'm very excited for that. I'm excited to see the Rani once more. Um, from my childhood when I last saw the Rani. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're gonna love it. Lytton was the fourth favourite villain out of the top five. Uh, the Cybermen were the second favourite monster after the Daleks. Perry was the second favourite supporting character after the second Doctor, which like, I guess I get it because it's exciting okay, to see that's him. Fair. And then the incidental music came fourth out of four options. Yeah, the incidental music was... I don't know what it was taking, but I would like some of that, please. Yeah. It was wild. It was insane. It was so incongruous and yet also perfect. Yeah, especially in episode one. It really it really stood out in a way you don't want your incidental music to. When the TARDIS lands in the junkyard, uh, the music playing is a distorted version of the theme music to Steptoe and Son, a BBC sitcom about a father and son rag and bone business. Oh my god. Okay, no, I skipped past that one. I would have kept that one in. Yeah. I can't believe that this was rated a 15 plus. Oh, in Australia. Yeah. Australia yeah, that in Australia the, um... wimps. Sorry. <laughs> I don't mean that, but oh my god. Okay, okay. Let's 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 walk that comment back and think about how many things in Australia can kill you. Yeah. Firstly, their government. Secondly, their spiders. Yes. But also consider that they rated this episode of Doctor Who a fifteen plus. Ha. <laughs> like you know I kind of get some of the cuts that they made to like Fury from the Deep because it was scary but to rate this a 15 come on guys yeah I mean there was actual like violence in it however we'd all go except Miss Shaw oh just a minute I'm not gonna miss all no Miss Shaw have you never heard of female emancipation Liz this time I think he's right um first of all I just wanted to mention that I love the Telos workers revolt um, it's not really expanded on, but I enjoy rising up against their uh, colonizers and knocking their blocks off. That was good. Mm-hmm. Every time. But yeah, I thought that was fun. Like, you know, they're just doing their best. Like, it's a weird little subplot that sort of comes to nothing, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. Um, would have liked seeing that fleshed out a bit, mm. but what can you do? All right. Shall we? Shall we? jump into let's discuss the violence yes let's discuss the violence this is just like with vengeance on varus but while vengeance mm-hmm. on varus is like a critique of the violence within this one is just kind of violent but violent. i don't think that's yeah. always and, a i mean Va- varus also had the the scene where two guards got thrown into an acid bath and died yeah and then this the doctor definitely made has a, a higher body it. count <laughs> <laughs> which of course he did yeah um You're, you won't mind if i don't join you it's like oh yeah i uh yeah yeah um Um, this one has a higher body count and i think more violent scenes yeah you've got uh you've got the first comment here yeah um i for one love that the doctor beat up a cop like he didn't know that he was only pretending to be a cop or whatever like i was a bit confused by who was a cop and who was pretending to be a cop and who was an actual criminal it was it was weird um luckily that all gets thrown out the window about 20 minutes into episode one and never (laughs) returned to so which makes lots of sense if it would have been a four-part serial yay um and yeah as we've mentioned earlier the story is rated 15 plus in australia for low level violence i would be interested seeing this one recut as a four-parter um just to see what the the flow of it would be like yeah so that the end of the first episode there would be the cyberman reveal yeah um, not sure where the end of the third episode would fit. And the third god, would it be um oh shit, would it be the reveal of what the Cybermen are planning? Or would it be Lytton getting captured or 
probably let him get you captured. To be fair, less happens in the second episode. It just stretches, yes. but you know. There's a lot more talking. Yeah. So, um, in 1985, Australasian Doctor Who fan club president Tony Howe singled out the crushing of Lytton's hands until they oozed blood as being an instance of sick shock violence like Andy Warhol's that was present for cheap shock value only. Um, and then there's a cutting from an Australian uh, newspaper, which is from the mm. same guy, um, that says, uh, the series is the most controversial in the show's history due to its emphasis on gratuitous violence and led to the show's postponement for 18 months. Michael Grade, the BBC's programme controller, said it was relying too much on straightforward on-the-nose violence and he needed to rethink the shape of the programme. Anyone wishing to know more about what happened and to be kept up to date with the situation, please write to the Australasian Doctor Who fan club, <laughs> PO Box 148, Gladesville, New South Wales, 2111. Now... Cute. There are a number of reasons why Michael Gray decided to put the show on hiatus. One of them is the violence. I wouldn't say it's the only reason. Not even slightly. I mm. think he would have taken any reason. Indeed. Um, and then we had... This is like a cutout about Mary Whitehouse just mentioning that Doctor Who has been increasingly characterised by violence and then complaining about the Robin of Sherwood show being satanic. <laughs> yeah, which... Uh, well, that's a take. <laughs> yeah, but I just wanted to note that people who called this episode a video nasty have clearly never seen an actual video nasty or indeed a horror movie rated higher than maybe a 15. Um, Go on. Like, so video nasties are like fucking anthropophagy or whatever, where it's literally a guy eating people um, and you mm -hmm. see him eating the people. This scene where he crushes the hand, it is upsetting. You don't actually see very much of what happens. Yeah, you see it's, them it, holding the his hands, there, not bloody. You cut to the Cyberman and him kind of ah, and then you cut back and his hands are covered in blood. And I'm like, that is upsetting, but it's not actually that violent. Whereas, like, I've watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out ten years before this. Um, and obviously, I'm not comparing them as like having the same audience or whatever. But people are reacting to it as if they are the same thing when they are clearly yeah, not. They're very much not. Like, I think. Um, the fact that he kind of bleeds on the floor is a little bit much for a children's television show. But honestly, it's not... I don't know. I just didn't I... find it... Like, I found it shocking, but I didn't find it necessarily, like, violent or traumatising or whatever. Um, like, it's no Bay of Blood or whatever. You need to stop saying or whatever at the end of sentences. Let's see what horror movies came out in 1984 or 5 that I would have watched. And I can let you know. Do it, do it, Nightmare do it. on Elm Street. There you go. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Threads. Fucking Threads, man. Um, Invitation to Hell, which I was listening to a uh, Flophouse podcast episode about yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, cool. Children of the Corn. Nice. <sighs> the Barbaric Beast of Boggy Creek, part two. <laughs> Brilliant title. Um, Fuck. The Toxic Avenger, which I do want to see. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, there's a lot of much, when, like, many worse things. This is just, like, a little bit violent. And to be honest, I just don't get the association with video nasties, as I said, which are legitimately pretty foul and unpleasant to watch. I think it must be, like, buzzword-style type stuff. Like, yeah. Oh, it's probably like this thing, which I don't know enough about to really expand on, but, but it's like this thing. Yeah, like, I've only seen... Like, I haven't seen anything officially labelled a video nasty. I've seen Necromantic, which fucking should be. Um, and I've seen Evil Dead, which is sometimes included on the list, even though it's not. Um, and I've mm. seen Extro quite recently, which uh, is often incorrectly labelled as a video nasty and features a scene where a woman gives birth to a fully grown man. So, like... Okay. None of these things okay. are equivalent to a guy's hands being covered in blood for five seconds. Yeah, no, very much not the same thing. Anyway. At all. 
Um, I, I'm sorry to just turn this into reversing horrorarity, the horror movie fan cast. But um, I mean, this is actually what you wanted from the beginning, I think. Yeah, um, it's like I I kind of see the complaint about violence in the sense that the violence in this story doesn't always have a point to it. But you should also know that people have been getting killed in Doctor Who for the entire 23-year run of the yeah. show at this point. A lot of 62 has a really yeah. high body count. So it seems that the objection is more to the real- realism, in quotation marks, of the violence than it is to the violence itself. And there was actually kind of a cycle of this happening, because in the early 70s, Doctor Who came under fire for being too violent, in quotation marks. Hmm. So I imagine a lot of modern Who has yeah, I think it's, had that response Exactly. Well. I found a bunch of articles about the episode Dalek and how it was going to teach children not to empathise or to want to torture things and I was like it's about a fucking Dalek it's about Did they a watch the show? Yeah, and then there was like a scholarly article link that was from the 70s that was about how... And this was specifically about boys being influenced by violence because, of course, girls can't be influenced by violence. Oh, no. They were no. like, sci-fi violence is too far removed from a boy's uh, lived experience to actually impact his decision-making. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's um, exactly what they've come down to with video games nowadays. Yeah, and then there was a letter that I found from 1965 to, I believe, the Radio Times where someone said that his three-year-old was too scared of Doctor Who and he was really horrified by how scary it was for a three-year-old. Three-year-olds shouldn't be mm. watching Doctor Who. It's not a show for three-year-olds. Also, three-year-olds probably aren't comprehending watching... Doctor Who. She should be watching fucking Muffin the Mule or something, or Captain Pugwash. Both excellent shows. I mean, I haven't seen Muffin the Mule, but Captain Pugwash is great. Um, Very good. But yeah, it's... I understand being concerned about what your children are watching, but also... Like, this is the era of Blake 7, it's the era of, like, Survivors and a bunch of other fairly bleak sci-fi programming. Doctor Who is in it's company with the other 80s. Things. There's a lot of bleak stuff happening in the real world, of course our media is going to reflect that. Yeah. I don't think it was too violent. No. That's sort of the encapsulation. Um, mm-hmm. Why do the Cybermen have egos now is the next point in this list. And then I put, I should note, and I don't know that I should note this, it's just that I want to. Um, I should note that the Cybermen post-Earthshock are a subcategory <laughs> of Cybermen called Cyberneomorphs, which are bulkier. Thick Cybermen. Um, Thick Cybermen. Which is that apparently after Tomb of the Cybermen, because the story is set after Tomb of the Cybermen, and it's supposed to be set in the same place, but they didn't have any of the episodes because they were all lost, and they didn't have the set design photos or anything, so they had to recreate it from memory. Wait, they didn't even have, like, the director's cut photos? I don't think so. Portfolio photos? Wild, okay. Like, I think they genuinely had to recreate it based on descriptions. So the fact that it's, you know, there's different cells and it opens, you know, that works, and they're breaking through the things, and you're like, okay. That, Um, That sounds about right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so apparently the Cybermen got reprocessed after successfully escaping Telos in an attempt. Like, the Cyber Controller doesn't die in Tomb of the Cybermen like the Doctor thought. He st- he lives and is able to revive some extra Cybermen and then they get a time machine that lands on Telos and go back in time to 1986. Yeah. Um... In order to stop Hades coming, like it's it's a very complicated plot that I don't really care about the minutiae of because it's just fun to watch. Um, oh, I agree. But yeah, the Cyber Neomorphs are separate from the Cyber Mondasians and the Cybertalosians, and they're kind of like a a combination of the Cybertalosians and then the like this new brand of Cybermen that were present in Revenge of the Cybermen. <laughs> it's complicated. It's from the Cybermen book from the eighties that. Um, has the the archivist Hegelia in it and all that, which I've talked about mm. before on the podcast. If anyone wants to go back in time <laughs> to to learn about that, I still think that the uh the continuum of cyborg to robot they have gone too far towards robots. Um, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that in this serial. I 
struggle with this in most Cybermen stories. Mm. Um, I don't think I'm a very good critique or judge of it because I generally think it's always too far robot. Um, okay. I think th- there's too much hive mindiness for a lot of the Cybermen as cyborg stuff to go deep. I think uh, the only place it's been done perfectly is in the original story. <laughs> um, but in this story, it's like the cyber controller gets to be the cyber... I mean, he doesn't even feel like a cyborg. He feels like a robot. But like he's the one who has an mm. individu- his, has individuality, but they're not supposed to have individuality. <laughs> but they're yeah, and equally, respect as well. They're supposed to be people who have lost their individuality and humanity, like the Borg, rather than robots that you cannot believe were ever human. Like, we see the cyber-conversion process, and you go, oh my god, that's a person. But then they're just Mm. knocking the heads off these things, and there's nothing inside the helmets. Like... (sighs) I think that's also the distinction between the Borg and the Cybermen, in that the Borg, because they still look enough like people to make it uncanny, it's more unnerving. And they do that really... Um, effectively with Locutus of Borg. Yeah, um, God, Locutus of Borg. That is so powerful. Yeah. But with the Cybermen, because it, it looks like a robot, if it looks like a robot and quacks like a robot, then it's a robot. Yeah, which is again why I think that the Mondasian Cybermen are the are the most terrifying design for the Cybermen, because you remember mm. that they're people who were people. Yeah. And many of them were unwillingly converted. But even the ones who were willingly converted couldn't really consent to this experience because no one had ever experienced it before. Um, and I think that that's the horror of Lytton's fate in this, which is the most horrifying part of it, I think, is him, you know, being half Cyberman saying, kill me, kill me, kill me. Like, <sighs> oof. Um, wonder if that would have been more impactful for a character who was... Who had a stronger sense of self and stronger sense of ethics and morals rather than somebody who is effectively for hire. I do think he has a very strong personality, though. Like, he is a, a character. True, yeah. Like, I think that Definitely, saying that yeah. it would be more effective if he was a good person is kind of irrelevant. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> he, he, like, I'm not saying if he was a good person. I'm saying if he was more convicted. Like, oh, he had, if he had okay, more conviction. Yeah. Courage of his Even if he, he didn't have to be convictions towards good things. Yeah, but yeah. When his prime motivation is generally greed yeah rather than an ethical i think this is actually the right thing to do even if we can say i disagree but then cycling back to my initial point as soon as he becomes a cyberman he should lose all of that but instead we have like the cyber controller going excellent like (sighs) they're not supposed to have emotional drive they're doing these things to further the cyber race but this one they're going back in an attempt to prevent something from happening which feels very against the cyberman quota of we will survive we will keep going forwards and surviving Mm. despite what's happened to us in a very but in a bad way (laughs) like yeah yeah that fits i don't know the time travel thing with the cybermen doesn't really fit with me with the daleks it makes more sense because their goal is conquest whereas with the cybermen their goal is proliferation not necessarily with conquest i think that's probably a harder motivation to get to yeah i think that there needs to be like Spare Parts works really well as a Cybermen story because it's the origin of the Cybermen and they're doing it to survive their individual circumstances on one planet. As soon as they start giving Cybermen invasion stories, they kind of lose the we are doing this to survive and they become we are doing this to increase in size, which feels like a logical progression. But by the time we get to this story, they're doing it to get back at the Doctor, almost. Like, why... Why not simply go and tell the Mondasians that this is going to happen and evacuate the planet before any of it occurs? Or make it impossible for those events to occur. Yeah, and doesn't 
it doesn't have to be that they destroy the earth they could go and like destroy the antarctic base or whatever you know like Mm. i just have a lot of thoughts about the cybermen (laughs) and i want them to be a way better adversary than they have become in the series yeah this is why i probably find them a little bit more of a a side they always end up playing second fiddle to things which is a shame because i think they have the capacity to be so interesting which is what spare parts is for and it's what um oh god what was the one i the one of the very first eight audios is a Simon audio that's an adaptation of one of the av audios and i thought it was really good it's kind of about like scavenging in space and you go oh well the Cybermen. yes i've listened to this one that one's really good it's really really good and you go oh yeah you know Cybermen. i think it works well in an audio format as well because you kind of the because in this one the voice is a shit in this one let's be real the Cybermen voice is terrible they yeah they're not they're better than they were in tomb oh see the thing is that i want them to have the modulated effect like there's no modulated effect whatsoever okay, in yeah, no, i see what you're coming from yeah that makes sense i do think that the uh, because then we're saying that it's better than tomb but that's because it feels more like driven audible but, is what i'm oh, saying audible audible absolutely <laughs> but then you know like i'm thinking about like in 10th planet where they go we are the cybermen like it needs to have the level of unreality or detachment from humanity to yeah. it. Yeah. Whereas in this... Again, I wonder if that's just a misdirection. Yeah, there's just a misunderstanding. Or a misunderstanding of what's really going exactly, on. Exactly, a misunderstanding yeah. of, this char- of, this, of this enemy. The whole point... It's another case of, I will recreate this thing I love without examining why I love it or why it works. Yeah. Uh, I love it, therefore I must be able to do it well. Yeah, and to continue talking about Cybermen, because I love talking mm. about Cybermen, let's talk about Cybermen stories as horror stories, and particularly now this, this I story love. as a horror story. Um, yeah. one, of, one of my favourite quotes from the Flophouse podcast is in one of their episodes, one of them is asked to define horror um, by someone else in an attempt to stymie them, and they go, horror is a genre which attempts to horrify the viewer. <laughs> Um, do you think we can come up with a better definition of horror? Not least by Googling it. Um, I'm not going to touch the Google myself. You can go for it. I think horror has to involve some form of subversion. Typically, if it's some, something that subversion, a subversion of something that the intended culture of the audience is normalised to. Yeah. So Wikipedia says... Okay, a okay. Ho- hit a horror film is one that seeks to elicit fear or disgust in its audience for entertainment purposes. Horror films additionally aim to evoke viewers' nightmares, revulsions, and terror of the unknown or the macabre. Yeah, I can see. So what core psychological fear do the Cybermen attempt to exploit? And the answer is... the fear oh, lack of, the, of self. The fear of the loss of self, right? So, like... Yeah. What in this story exploits that fear? Because I think there are parts of it, and there's also the fear of the loss of uh, the loss of power or the loss of um, autonomy, which is definitely part mm. of it. And there's also the fear of the loss of the blood from your hands, I guess. But that's more of like a, it's that's more of a um, like a specific, a, like a splattercore kind of thing, rather than a yeah. general horror movie. Which is, you know, yeah. I don't really like splatter, whatever. It's like ugh, whatever. I, I think it pulls on those themes from the second half but they're not really in the first half yeah like the first half uses some horror shots and setups without having those themes present yeah, the bits with the cyber conversion chamber definitely elements of the fear of loss of you know personhood i do think um quickly to clarify i do think that equating the loss of limbs like the uh, workers do with the loss of humanity is ableist um, yeah, like the replacement of limbs of cybernetic things and I do think that kind of that oh well if we replace everything how human will we be the the reason cybermen aren't human is because they have no, no emotion mm-hmm. uh, which again is kind of difficult to quantify but it's like how data 
um, says he doesn't have emotions, but he clearly does. Like, yeah. Whereas the Cybermen removed that part of themselves and as a result became monstrous, um, which I think is interesting. That's something I would love to see that explored more because that's like just that short summary you've put there. I think that's the heart of it. Yeah. And it's something that's so rarely actually dug into. Yeah, it's like they come to the Earth and they take all its all of its energy. And po- Polly says, don't you care? And they go, I don't understand what you mean by care. <laughs> like, yeah. they don't care what happens to other creatures. They, own, they don't even really necessarily care about themselves, but they have the imperative that they were given before they were converted, which is to survive. And that's all, that's like, you know, the word that was put in their mouth, right? Like, ugh. You see, I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, what difference does that have to some perceptions of animals? who still ha- like express emotion- emotive range, but don't necessarily have... I think it's the, the level I'm of think- sentience, right? Because we can communicate with them, but we cannot understand the Cybermen in the way that we can necessarily understand the feelings of a, of a cat. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. My cats are chaotic. Okay, fair enough. I, I, that's a bad example. <laughs> but like, you can communicate with a Cyberman as much as you want, but you won't be able to convince them to come to your side because they don't... Like th- like this episode, they're talking about logic, but I don't think that's necessarily what Cybermen are all about, right? Like, they don't choose mm. to do things because they're logical. They choose to do them because they... I, I was about to say feel. They think that they know that it is the thing they should be doing. They don't think it's the right or wrong thing to do. They don't have those conceptions anymore, which I think is quite terrifying because you never know what they're actually going to do. Yeah. And it's and like to go back to that, you can talk to them, but you can't understand. It's that difference between like dialogue and conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to what extent can we have a powerful villain whose motivations we can't yeah. feel a tangible reaction to which i think is why they have the the concept of them is terrifying rather than the action of them like the cyber controller comes in as a character that can like leads the other cybermen because otherwise you kind of go well who's leading the cybermen why are they doing these things they're doing them because it was the last thing they wanted to do before they lost the ability to want things like i just find them so interesting and i want like the perfect sideband story to be created beyond spare parts like i want a story that explores them as like beings rather than as a wave of robots (laughs) to get their heads knocked off i think it would also be a really interesting allegory for for depression and that apathy Mm. and that not being able to access what you want when there is no desire to want yeah and that could be a really interesting tack for it Anyway, we've rambled about Simon for a while. <laughs> um, I just have a lot of feelings, ironically, because and like the Cybermen, the Cybermen don't exactly. <laughs> um, we already talked about how good the incidental music is. <laughs> oh my fucking god, it slaps! It slaps. Um, and then my last note on critique was that I managed to dig up some letters from the Doctor Who magazine letters pages in 1985. Um, yes, <clears throat> hit me. First one is titled Cyber Talk. A few impressions of this season's opening story. Unlike last season's starter, Attack of the Cybermen was well-paced with the action never allowed to slow for more than a few minutes. There was always something going on to keep the viewer's attention, as well as the introduction of a marvellous new alien race, the Cryon. A very good script was evident, with worthwhile dialogue for all concerned, except the Cybermen, but they're supposed to sound boring anyway. (laughs) And humour... (laughs) Humour... And a humorous element threaded throughout most of the two episodes, which never overshadowed the drama of the story, which was again ably directed by Matthew Robinson and was equal to, if not better than, his resurrection of the Dalek. Just one small quibble. As many people have said before, but which newer viewers may have never heard, whatever happened to the Cybermen's voices? 
Up to the invasion, they were always chilling, metallic drawls, totally inhuman. Now they sound like men in divers' helmets. I know that's what they are, <laughs> really, but do they have to sound like it? Why can't the electronic voices be brought back? That's uh, Nigel G. Thanks, Nigel. Nigel G. Hilbert from Pontypridd in Mid Glamorgan. <laughs> um, Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, time again I would like to clear up once this is someone trying to get a no prize for continuity I would like to clear up once and for all this nasty business concerning the Tom Baker flashback sequence in Earthshock all of those people who say that Revenge of the Cybermen took place after after Earthshock are wrong even Jean-Marc L'Officier in his program guide volume 2 to begin with the TARDIS materialises on Nerva on the Ark in space 10,000 years after the solar flares of 2900 AD when the Doctor is whisked off to Skyro for Genesis of the Daleks he is further back in time since the Daleks and the Dalek invasion of Earth were more advanced than those in Genesis i.e. they can move not just on metal as in the dead planet and that the invasion took place in 2164 AD Genesis took place before 2164 now when returned to Nerva in revenge the doctor moved in space but not in time obviously since the TARDIS had to move back through time to get to him and when Harry asked uh, if when they were was long before the time of the solar flares, the Doctor responded thousands of years before. A little exaggeration there, Doc, but nevertheless to the point. Therefore, Revenge of the Cybermen took place before 2164 and Earthshock in 2526. No problem. The Cybermen in Earthshock could easily have that picture of the Fourth Doctor's incarnation. And that's from Douglas Allen Horton in Mississauga, Canada. <laughs> Douglas. Um, I hope it makes you happy. Yes, and then the last letter has a little bit of praise for the female actors playing the cryons. Very cool. I wish that they would nice. come back. Um, strong, shy, and sympathetic at the same time. <laughs> anyway, it is cool. That is that is the critique portion of the episode. We had a lot to say. Yeah, I have a. I like it when we have a lot to say. Yeah, I just have thoughts about the Cybermen, and if anyone has any thoughts about the Cybermen, let us know. Like the new series Cybermen, from the beginning, were essentially robots, so it's not got the same decline from the Tenth Planet. But <laughs> let me get this straight: a thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space. Yes, quite so. But that's ridiculous. So I didn't read the novelization this week um, because I have better things to do than read Eric Sayward books. <laughs> um, Ooh. But I did look up the changes in the novelization and the very first one I spotted was that Thrust the Cryon is renamed Thrust, um, which I giggled at. Why? I don't know. Um, for some unknown reason, the book is dedicated to the splendor of the indigenous peoples of the Americas, which like, wind your neck in, Eric. It's not fucking, you're not, well, like, Dances with Wolves is not, like, the stop. Stop! Fan- like, stop um, mysticize- mysticizing the fucking real people who live in America. Especially in this story. Yeah. Um, the silvery metal used to make Cybermen bodies is called Arnickleton. I just want to talk, Eric. I just want to talk. <laughs> who is Arnickleton? It's a great question. Um, and beyond this, I didn't read it as mentioned. I think that novelization mania is going to have to wait until we have to do the missing episodes. <laughs> Um, I may fine. I may read them from time to time. I do own the Talons of Wang Chiang one, which I'm not looking forward to, but that's life. There's also uh, talking about Lytton. He's in one brief encounter, which is the Doctor Who magazine extremely short story uh, called Mistaken Identity, which I couldn't be bothered to look up because I'd already spent about an hour on Doctor Who magazine today. <laughs> Totally valid. You you have done a lot for us yes. today. Uh, as mentioned, his first name is Gustav, or Gustav with an E. Eric Sayward, can you proofread your fucking books? <sighs> it's different in the two different novelizations he appears in. Um, he was in a so far four issue long comic series called Litten Intergalactic Freelance Soldier, where part of it he's in fucking Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Uh, oh my god. I find it a bit wild. Matthew Waterhouse is constantly tweeting about it and I don't know why. I think he might be friends with er- with Eric Saywood or something, which I guess is fair. All power to you, Matthew. <laughs> 
Um, if you ever want to come on the show, let us know. Yeah, and then I did a bit of research about Cyberman hierarchy um, and the cyber controller. So the cyber controller might or a, a might bit, not be the same a bit. Rosie, there's a whole April page of notes don't here. Don't judge me. Um, so they definitely <laughs> intended the cyber controller in Attack of the Cyberman to be the same one as in Tomb of the Cybermen since they got Merkel Kilgareth back. And then the design is slightly different. He's still got a bump on the top of his head to contain his big brain. Um, <laughs> but like, it's not see-through anymore, which is sad. And he doesn't do any like hypnotism. Big loss. Big loss to have no hypnotism. <sighs> yeah, another hypnophobic episode. Truly. Uh, standing at the very top of the rigid Cyberman hierarchy, the controller oversaw senior leaders who commanded major phalanxes, including leaders, junior leaders, and the Cyber Army. Which earlier I noted, I'm this is stupid, but I'm kind of here for it. I'm no longer here for it. I'm I don't want an, I don't want the Cybermen to be an army. They're not an. I kind of just want cy- the Cybermen to disorganize. I want them to stop organizing. I want it to be rogue Cybermen all across. Like you want universe. slice of life Cybermen? No, I want like like in. <laughs> I haven't seen um the Villa Diodati episode. I'm sure it's great because it sounds fucking excellent. It is. But I know that that has a single Cyberman, and I wish that they would return to that. Like Nightmare in Silver has one Cyberman, but it's like a super powered Cyberman. I just want one normal Cyberman <laughs> against a bunch of people, and it can be based on the siege, but it's returning the terror of the Cybermen because. For so long, they were just like swathes of enemies getting cut down, and it's like, no, stop. Like in Doomsday and Army of Ghosts, mm. the Cybermen are there, and then the Daleks turn up, and immediately the Cybermen are like completely sidelined. Um, yeah. That's sort of how they feel yeah. like, in, in general. Yeah, the information about the hierarchy is from the novelization of Attack of the Cybermen. Um, a cyber controller ruled the Mondasian cyber empire. Unlike other controllers, it appeared identical to its subordinates. However, it notably wore a cloak. I just thought that was fun. <laughs> I would like more Cybermen wearing actual clothing, please and thank yes. you. Uh, around the 1970s, a, a Talosian cyber controller was activated on ISOS 2 to lead a counter invasion of Earth by the early cyber, fra- cyber faction uh, f- after the first one was repelled in the invasion. So that's the audio, the ISOS network, which is an early adventure with Zoe and Jamie in 2, I'm fairly certain. Mm. Um, in 1986, a cyber controller was based on Mondas while subordinate. Uh, cyber leaders led an invasion of Earth. One cyber leader, Gurn, declared himself controller of Earth. Ultimately, however, the invasion ended in defeat as Mordas was destroyed. This is bad because Cybermen don't have names. <laughs> the whole point is that but they don't they have do? individuality or names. Like, honestly, having but ranks, they're, like, they're have all way... fucking thin ice having ranks. <laughs> How do they identify each other then? They don't. The whole point is that they're not individuals. But, like, if, if you are... If you are cyber leader 12 and you have eight people in your team and they need to do different things do you just hope for the best why are we why are we making them organize why are the why are the cybermen like this they they don't i'm sorry for trying to put them through the um matrix with which i experienced the world i get no it's fine i'm saying that we're that thinking reminds me of like the stormtroop in star wars right where they have designations because they are people but cybermen presumably like you can just point at one and go you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and then they go off and do it because they don't complain because they're they're emotionless yep like yeah that fits i don't know 
I'll have to write a big Finnish story about it, obviously. Our 1066 Cyberman audio can get into the politics <laughs> of Cybermen. Cyber politics. Yes, yeah. That, that's the perfect place to put it, actually. Yeah. Um, a cyber controller... Especially consider the dramatic political restructuring of England at that time, please continue. Yes. Um, a cyber controller led the Cybermen in an incursion into a parallel universe, altering history to combine that universe with N-Space. In the 24th century, they encountered a species similar to their own called the Borg, and they entered a temporary alliance, the Cybermen modifying themselves with Borg technology before betraying them. With the support of the 11th Doctor, the crew of the Starfleet vessel USS Enterprise-D formed an uneasy alliance with the Borg and stormed the cyber controller's cyber ship. They don't need to use cyber as a prefix for everything, honestly. It's tacky. Um, the cyber controller was overcome and the Borg set all of the cyber ships to self-destruct through the cyber web that linked them together. Comic Assimilation Squared. Star Trek! Fucking hell. I need to read this. Yeah, I really want I to I need it. to get my hands, my, my, my little, my little tricky hands. Yes. I'll see what I can do on the interwebs. I've never been like that big a TNG yes. person and I still really want to read this. I do want a DS9 Doctor Who crossover quite badly. Oh my, yes. Can you imagine be, um... Garrick and the Doctor? Yes. Also, I think Alexander Siddick would be a really good Doctor. Let me know what I think Alexander Siddick should play the Doctor. <laughs> Sorry to make you suffer. He'd be good, Enjoy right? that waveform. He'd be good, He'd be right? incredible. God. And bring Andrew Robinson in as the companion. Oh my God. And then we let can't them fall do in this. love we on screen. We, need... we know. We can't. <laughs> we can't do this. And we should do this. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you know Andrew Robinson was in Hellraiser? Oh, no, I didn't. Have you seen Hellraiser? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, he gets his face ripped off. Um, It's the whole thing. Oh, no, that's bad. And then, like, he starts off as an unassuming boyfriend, and then he gets killed by the um the the guy. It's a whole thing. Um, And he has a really good line. His final line in the movie is just, Jesus wept. And then his face gets ripped off again. <laughs> it's very cool. Um, Good film. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Good film. Um... <laughs> And then after that, he was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine for seven years. Speaking did you of, know that Garrick's only in like 37 I episodes? I did know of... that, and he's still perfect. He's still the best character. 1987 was Hellraiser, so, so pretty close to this. No one gets their face ripped off in this episode. Honestly, I don't know why people are complaining. <laughs> Um, in the far future, a cyber controller took the Cybermen back in time to the early 21st century to convert all the humans on Earth. It was killed by the Eighth Doctor, who used the time vortex to turn it into dust. This is a comic called The Flood, but I really want to read. Um, that sounds really good. The redesign of the Cybermen in it is fucking amazing. You're right. I just heard something fall in the next room. Um, but yeah, that sounds really, it, it sounds really, really cool. Um, I think it has Destry, one of the companion, who's like a fish woman. It's a whole thing. Um, nice. But yeah, I really, really want to read that. And it's not in the Doctor Who magazine compilation that I have. The one that I have is Endgame, The Keep, Fire and Brimstone, Tooth and Claw, The Final Chapter, and Wormwood, plus two bonus stories, A Matter, A Life of Matter and Death, and By Hook or By Crook. Um, huh which has uh, Izzy and Faye. Izzy is a lesbian and Faye is a butch Edwardian adventurous spy. Ooh. So I'll have to read that at some point. I've owned it for like that eight years. That sounds amazing. It's just that it's in black and white yeah. and I can't process black and white comics apparently. Anyway. Um, also fair. In the alternate timeline of the Cyberverse on the planet Kronos in the year 3286, the Sixth Doctor encountered a version of his companion, Evelyn Smythe, who had become a cyber controller long before. This cyber controller planned to convert the Doctor himself into the next cyber controller. This one had come into existence when Evelyn, infected by a technovirus created by her own future self, had landed on Wild. That's exactly what Evelyn would do. The technovirus 
virus had allowed the cyber conversion of the humans who survived the virus. The cyber controller herself infected Evelyn, her former self. Reese Goddard, a cyberman from this timeline who resembled a human, killed this cyber controller. Neither the Doctor or Evelyn realised the connection between her and this controller, and that is from the webcast Real Time, which is one of the, uh, like, motion comic audio things that was on the BBC oh, website. Nice. Uh, I really need to listen to it sometime. And then I couldn't find an illicit copy of the short story I wanted to do this episode, so I'm just going to sulk instead. Um, it was called uh, <laughs> The Powers Behind the Throne, and it is from the second issue of the short-lived, eight-issue-long Doctor Who poster magazine from the 1990s. Um, which I imagine yeah, it sounds must impossible have been a to companion comic to... The Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the official poster magazine, presents Alexander Siddig in Armand Bashir, which I own and have in my hand right now. I need it. Yeah, it's great. It's It folds out into a poster and it's the Armand Bashir poster. I love it. Just gonna rustle. I... It's got... Um, it's it's great. Please send me a picture. I will do. I will. Do. Um, it's great. And then it also is like a magazine that has like an, a little article, you know. Nice. That's cool. I need to put it up on my wall, really, but it's a faff getting from the wall. Anyway, it was called The Powers Behind the Throne, and it was just looking back at the story of the cyber controller um, as a singular individual that was kind of equivalent to the Dalek Emperor. Um, Mm. And they talk about how it goes on from the second Doctor to the sixth Doctor, and it's kind of waiting. And it was written by Gary Russell, so, you know, I really want to read it. So if I ever manage to, before this episode is edited and posted, maybe... Maybe we'll be able to sort that out. Um, the cyber controller possesses a special cranium design, giving him his enhanced intelligence because he's got a big brain. Um, nice. There's also a bunch of other stuff going on with the cyber controller, but honestly, I've already rambled for long enough this episode about the Cybermen. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's my expanded yeah. universe spot. Thank you. I really enjoyed all of the Cybermen You're stuff. You're welcome. That was fun. I, I had a good time. Rankings. Yes. My X of the week is going to be TARDIS form of the week and it's going to be that little, it turned into a sort of like monument when I was in the scrapyard. It was very colourful. Yeah, I liked it a lot. little dresser that was very cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mine, That's my thing. mine is um, innovative costuming material of the week, which is the high collar made out of bubble wrap for the cryons. Fucking inspired. I love it. I love it. I love it. It was very, Anything very with bubble wrap in Doctor Who delights me. <laughs> and there's quite a lot of bubble wrap in Doctor Who. Indeed. Um, it is a very versatile substance. Yes. What's what's that? What's that coming from the distance? Oh my god, it's getting closer. Yeah, so Six Degrees of Black 7 this week was thankfully quite easy once more. Um, Paul Gorman, who was uncredited playing a Cyberman, oof, uh, was in 10 episodes of Blake 7 as various background characters. So he kind of got around on the show. Nice. Um, That's fair. He was also in the finale, which is an episode called Blake. Um, if Blake 7 was titled the way Friends episodes are, it would be called The One Where Everyone Fucking Dies. Um... If it was titled like it's always sunny, it would be like the gang. Fi- the gang finds Blake again. <laughs> the gang. And it goes as well as you expect. Kills their best friend. Um, it's a whole thing. Uh, but yeah, it was easy enough to find this week. I just enjoyed it. Also, going through all the Doctor Who magazine stuff, you inevitably end up finding Blake Seven adverts and stuff because they were very popular nice. contemporaneously. Um, that makes sense. But yeah, what would you give this one out of five, Aim? Probably give it about a three out of five. It was fun, oh. but I didn't overall adore. I enjoyed the watching experience, mm. but 
See, yeah, it was enough that irked me about it. See, I liked it enough that I gave it four out of five on that box. I don't think it's like necessarily a four out of five story, but I had such an enjoyable time watching it and I don't really know why. <laughs> I think for the purposes of the podcast, I will give it a uh, three and a half. Uh... Oh shit, we give them things, don't we? Fuck. <laughs> I just said I just said three. I'm not with it's it. It's okay. I will give um... it a three and a half exploding sonic lances out of five. Um, I think I will go for three deceptive policemen's hats. Oh, love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's our ranking. Where do where will it go on our overall ranking? And then I can look up the Gallifrey Matrix. Mighty 200. Where shall it go? I would put it above Arkham Infinity and below Paladon. That is way higher than I would have put where it. Where would you put it? Um, Probably somewhere around Mordor and Dead. Fair. We make. Shall we? Shall we even that out and put it below the moon base? Uh, but then I have to decide if I liked it more than the keys of Marinus. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. That's what I mean. Like the two do- the, the, the stories there that I enjoyed watching more. Yeah. Um. But then I'll end up going. But did I like it more than the two doctors? And it's like, well, I don't know. But I thought it was that's better why, than that's... the two doctors. <laughs> that's how it ended uh, up at Modern and Dead. Yeah. Um. I mean, we can put it. But I do think it's better than the two doctors. It's just that I liked the two doctors more. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Is this is this ranking which ones we liked more or which we thought were better? I've I've been doing what I've liked. Okay. More. If it's what we liked more, then I would go above Modern Undead and below the two doctors. Cool. And then I will look it up on the Gallifrey Matrix poll. All right. Where do we think it's going to go on this poll? I think it's going to be like I would 150. 140. Okay. Attack. 161. Oh. Just below the keys of Mariners. <laughs> well, that's different yes. to us. And above the Savages, which is a missing episode. Ah. But there we are. Uh, cool. So yeah, that is uh, 18th on our list of so far 30 serials. Our number one is Remembrance of the Daleks, and our number 30 is The Twin Dilemma. Uh, the, the actual goal here is to see if we can get anything we like less than the twin yeah dilemma. it's not looking promising for the twin dilemma so far but we do have 130 <laughs> serials left um but there we are we're climbing oh the boy. mountain slowly yeah i'm having a great time doing oh this. absolutely i love podcasting um, it's it's a good thing um so thank you i hope you've also had a good time listening to us talk about cybermen um as ever please do spread the word spread the love about the podcast by telling people you know you can tell us how much you're enjoying it by dropping us a tweet at twitter we're at polarity pod if you want to tweet us individually rosie is at dot sayers and i'm at aim tell stories that's a y m um you can also find us on tumblr where we post very chaotically <laughs> at polaritypod.tumblr.com um i think that's all of the stuff we needed to to shout out mm-hmm. um and join us again next time where we are going to be watching the first doctor story the reign of terror Adianto.